Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Appreciate the, the presentations we've been able to share with us in the last service. Uh, the numbers of just uh, people that are just impacted by the influence of what we're able to provide. Not everybody can go, but everybody can give. And I'm thankful that God has anointed us up to go. Amen. And so we appreciate that. And so uh, don't forget that this coming Sunday also we're going to have dinner served at the church church is going to be providing the meat we're asking you to bring the side dishes and desserts and things of that nature and uh, so we're going to have a good time in the lord then on january the 6th we begin 21 days of, of fasting and prayer and uh, i want to mention this tonight i'll mention it again sunday in a little bit more detail but i've just felt really prompted of the lord for the last several days in prayer that what we were doing in the month of november praying a concerted effort of praying 30 minutes a day I would like for us to incorporate that into our 21 days of prayer and fasting and uh, so that we would be intentional about that, intentional about that. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that Sunday, but I didn't just want to wait till Sunday to mention it. And um, then also this coming Sunday is our, C our CFC Christmas for Christ offering. And um, I was so impressed and encouraged the day that the cards were set out and how quickly they went away and so I want us to follow up on that as a church and not just get caught up in a moment uh, but when it's time to respond Sunday let's respond and if the Lord lays something on your heart above what you've committed to then you be obedient to that because you can't outgive the Lord amen amen let's pray over the word of the Lord can we and you can be seated I love you today and I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost and I ask you tonight God to touch our hearts we have come into this house intentionally we've come here on purpose and so I ask you tonight to let that purpose be fulfilled and that your word would find a home in our heart and in our mind. 
strengthen us together and touch us, Lord, to be a body, not just a, not just a random casual body, but that we would be an intentional body of believers. Certainly as we close this year out and begin 2019, we're asking you for your fresh anointing upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. I want to ask you to join me in the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to consider verses 27 through 30. I want to preach to you tonight. My subject this evening is the power of one. The power of one. There's something incredible that happens in our life when we move and function as one. Amen. The Bible says in Philippians 1, and I think I'm just going to read verse 27 for now. Philippians 1 and 27. The Bible says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And this is the pastor of the Philippian church, Paul, if you please. It's writing in their absence or in his absence. And he is saying, let your conversation be as that that, that, become, that is becometh or that becometh the gospel. Or be that that is becoming of the gospel. Whether I am there to see you or whether I am absent, I pray that I can hear of the affairs that's going on in the Philippian church. The power of one. I think that we would all agree that, that the Christian life is not a playground, but it is indeed a battleground. Amen. If you haven't figured that out, amen, you need to open your spiritual eyes and realize that we are in a spiritual battle. In the church family, there are um, many roles that we play. We're sons and daughters, according to Scripture. We're servants. And as servants, we help to propagate the gospel across our nation and around the world. And that is part of our calling. But we are also called to be soldiers. Amen. And as a soldier, what we are defending is the word of God, the validity of the word of God. Amen. That's why Paul said to Timothy that we should study to show ourselves approved, a workman that would need to be ashamed, and how we can rightly divide and connect the word of truth. And I'm very, very thankful for Bible teaching. It is Bible teaching that has solidified churches all around the globe. Amen. It's Bible teaching. And uh, I am very thankful for men. I was reading an article today. Uh, someone had found an old article in a publication. Um, the, uh, the man who authored that, it was really sort of a, a miniature interview of Brother W.E. Gamlin, who pastored the church in Orange, Texas for many, many years. Brother Gamlin is Sister uh, Christy Thompson, Brother and Sister Thompson from Orange Park. It is Sister Christy Thompson's grandfather. And uh, Brother Gamlin, just a pioneer of the faith who has been gone for many, many years now, but his influence, of course, is still very, very much alive. But Brother Gamlin, it was said of Brother Gamlin, and, and uh, I was only uh, exposed to his ministry just a little bit toward the end of his life, but it was said of Brother Gamlin that no matter where he started out preaching and no matter what his topic was, he always somehow came back to doctrine. And... Um, and so in this interview, he was, uh, they were talking to him a little bit about that. And he said some very interesting things about the power of teaching and, and how that the word of God can be so ingrained in our hearts just 
by the power of the word being taught, and uh, and so that's it's important that we uh, it's important that we have demonstrative services. I believe in that we should always be in the in the atmosphere and at liberty to respond to the presence of God. But there comes time that we have to just sit down and let the word of God, as I often say, be the centerpiece. And it's about no one or nothing else, and we're just going to consider the word of God. And that word is going to be the foundation. It will be the pivot point upon uh, which all things, all things move. And, and, uh, and so I'm thankful that the word of God is so powerful and strong and and, uh, and the word of God is in it is healing and deliverance and the list could go on and on and on. But as soldiers of the, of, of the Lord, we have to understand our role and responsibility to defend, to be able, I, I don't mean to argue and win an argument, that's not what I'm talking about, but to rightly to be able to divide and connect and to make sense, as one writer said, of the word of God. And so the power of the Holy Ghost Infilling certainly can sustain us even in the midst of our greatest battles. The power of the Lord can just bring a buoyancy to our spirit and our heart. And I'm, I'm speaking to people tonight, frankly, that I know. And I know that you have lived through what I'm talking about right here where the Spirit of God kept you buoyant and you just moved on, moved on. And so the faith of the gospel is, is, the, is the body of divine truth that is given to the church. And what a gift that is. Jude calls it the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And so we have a tremendous responsibility to keep that faith. And I believe it's a faith worth defending. And I can, I can assure you that it is a faith. It is a faith worth defending. Amen. It is worthy of every time we gather, whether that is on Sunday or Wednesday or no matter how many times we gather together, it is a gospel that is worthy to be preached. In, in 1 Timothy 4 and 1, Paul warns that the latter time, in the latter times, he said, some shall depart from the faith. And certainly there, we see that. We see a departing from the faith, and that's a frightening thought. But no matter how frightening, it is true. But on his way to Damascus, Paul had an experience, a divine encounter with the Lord, and it was at this moment that God committed to the apostle Paul a very powerful spiritual treasure. And we've talked about that many, many times. It was a moment of divine impartation, I think second to none. However, Paul didn't leave to chance what would happen with that experience. He didn't just, he didn't just pull that all into himself and say, man, that was just something neat. And it wasn't something he just kind of sit around the dinner table or the fire talking about. But Paul took serious the divine encounter that he had on that road that day. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 1 and 11, he admitted that the gospel had been committed to his trust. Now, that was a, that's a powerful admonition, or ad, uh, that is a powerful admission that he said, the gospel has been committed to my trust. I've been trusted with this. I have been given something to hold and to keep and preserve in an effort to ensure that the gospel continued, he didn't just keep it to himself, but he committed that into the hands of his spiritual son, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6 and 20. He said, keep that which is committed to thy trust. And so, Paul, you see this progression. Paul said, it's first been entrusted to me, 
And now I am giving it to you and I am asking you to commit that that, has, that, that, that you keep that that's been committed to you. But in 2 Timothy 2 and 2, Paul said, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And I believe that what we see played out in these few verses of Scripture is, is that's not just an arbitrary act, but I believe that that is something that we should be committed to as well. That we have received something of the Lord. That's why the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, in chapter 6, the Bible talks about how that we ought to talk about that when we rise up, when we lay down. We, we need to share this with on every possible level that we can with every possible soul that we can we need to commit that into the hand so Paul said it was committed to me I have committed it to you and now I'm asking you to commit that into faithful hands and and that's what we're doing as a church we are uh, we are have received something ourselves and now we are putting that into the hearts of others into another generation and we are commissioning them not to just receive something as though it were a trinket and somehow then loses its value. But I'll tell you what brings value to something that we inherit is the story behind it. <laughs> Amen. There's just a little bitty stick in, in my office, and uh, it's in a little curio end table that I have there. And, and if you pass by, it's just a stick. And if, if I were to let you clean my office, you would probably throw it away because it's just a stick. But there's a story behind the stick. And it's a story that will remain for another night. It's the story behind the things. That's what brings it. Value. That's what brings hope. And so I don't think Paul was just saying, memorize this verse. Now commit that to your mind. Commit that to your heart. But it was the story behind and the passion with which it was shared. And so that's why the church must have an appreciation for Bible teaching. In doing so, we ensure that another generation will live to know and appreciate the value and the heritage of what God has brought our way. Amen. And so we're foolish to think that there's not an enemy out there that would like to steal our treasure. Amen. That treasure that is in us. If Satan could rob believers of their faith, Amen. If he can rob them of their doctrines that are distinctively theirs, then he can cripple and defeat the ministry, certainly the forward ministry of the church. And so that's why we have got to make sure, amen, that we hold on to the gospel, to the faith that was once committed to the saints. Now, I think it's very sad that we are living in an hour when people say things like, and this has been said to me countless times, and I know I'm not alone, it doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you live right. But I, I tell you that it does matter what you believe. That there is a biblical plan of salvation. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. Amen. I don't want to detour too far off, but the Bible talks about the path to heaven being a straight and narrow way. And the Bible talks a path about the path that's going to hell that whose mouth has been enlarged without measure. There is a right, well, there's a heaven to gain. Amen. I, I, some of you are, recall this. Amen, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And, and if that's the truth, then I've got to be careful that I am not given to any whimsical thing that comes down the pike. Amen. That's a very flawed and a very dangerous mindset and, and uh, because what we believe determines how we live. It really, really does. Errant belief ultimately leads to wrong living. And so every local church, no matter how many times you've heard this, 
up to now, no matter how many times you hear this after tonight, amen, this will be irrevocably so that every local church in the world is just one generation short of the potential of, of, uh, of our future. Just one generation, absolutely just one generation. We, all we have to do is just give a momentary pause and to think about people today that we know have been in church, and I'm not, I mean really been in church, and they live for God, and something come along, and whatever it was that pulled their feet out from under them, they're raising a generation of, of children, in many cases, that don't even know what the inside of a church looks like. Just one generation. This is a lot easier to slip through our fingers than we, must, than we may believe. That's why we've got to be diligent. Amen. I, I heard Brother Paul Mooney say many years ago, he said every, every generation ought to see a, meet a red-faced preacher at some point in their life. I think I knew what he was talking about. Amen. Somebody that is under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, but under the weight and the responsibility to say we've got to understand the power of this. Amen. I, I know that has been said many times, but it is true, so true. I can think of just people in my own life and my own family. And so we're foolish to think that we can just live any old way and it'll all come out in the wash. No, no, no. We've got to be intentional about this. So it shouldn't surprise us that Satan tries to attack people's core values. Amen. We can talk about the ill effects of Satan's attack on our youth. And in doing so, we would probably have a point. We would no doubt have a point. But I'm going to tell you that Satan's attack is not just against young people. And so we can't just rest our focus and set our laser right there on one particular area or demographic and just say, well, this is the, this is the devil's playpen. Not whatsoever. Amen. Sometimes our battles are with adults that don't have firm convictions themselves. And when you don't have a firm conviction, when your children start challenging those convictions and you don't have a foundation under you, amen, it's the absolute truth. Amen, I've used an illustration and just pardon me, I'm not just saying repeat myself because I, I've forgotten that I've said this. I'm repeating because I think there's merit. But I've often used the illustration of a bullwhip. I guess that's the official name of it. But it doesn't take but a little bit of movement on this end to get a big bang on the other end. But on this end is a wooden handle. On the other end, it's all frayed and torn. And so I just use that as an illustration to tell you that, that to seasoned saints, it won't take much bobbling on your part for there to be utter destruction on the other end because there are young people that are watching and they're looking and you may think they're not paying attention at all, but it won't take much jostling for us. So we can be cavalier and say, well, what difference does it make if I do this or what difference does it make? Well, it may make a lot. It may not make a lot of difference in your world. It may just be a little bit of a rumble in your world, but I'll promise you it may be enough to throw the ark off the cart in somebody else's world. That's why we've got to understand the power and the value of one, the value of being together. Amen. We need to pray and ask God to help us to have a firm foundation under us. And so this begs a serious question. How then do we fight the enemy of this day? I, I think first and foremost we have to realize that we're not in a new fight. It's, it may be 2018, but we're not fighting a new fight. We're not fighting a new enemy. And so we need to use the weapons that God has already put in our arsenal. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, he said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You can't win spiritual battles with carnal weapons. You gotta 
win spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. Amen. In the book of John, Simon Peter took up, Simon Peter pulled out a sword and he was trying to fight a spiritual battle with a natural weapon and the Lord had to apologize, (laughs) had to heal a man's ear, not saying that was a big deal, but he had to heal, uh, he had to heal a man's ear because Simon was going to fight something naturally that was really a spiritual battle. And so in order to fight spiritual battles, we have to use spiritual weapons. We must use the word of God. I know that's what Jesus Christ did. Even when the Satan himself came to tempt him, it is written, it is written, it is written. We must use the power of prayer, not as not as the Lord being our errand boy, but the power of prayer through relationship. And we must depend on the infilling of the Spirit to give us power and direction that we need. But in order for an army to succeed, we must understand the value of fighting together. Amen. This is why Paul sends these admonitions to the church at Philippi. He's explaining that there are at least three essential things that we need for victory if, and, and three things that we need to protect the faith. And so I want us to consider this. He said, first off in our original reading tonight, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. It's important to realize, again, that the word conversation there doesn't mean talk, but it means walk, our lifestyle. One translation says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The most important weapon that we have against the enemy It's not a stirring sermon. It's not a powerful song. It's not the meeting of all meetings. Amen. And there's a place for all of those things. But one of the most important weapons that we have in our arsenal tonight is consistent living. Every day, every day being what God has called us to be. Paul is saying we need to behave the way that kingdom citizens are supposed to behave. Amen. If we are in a civilized nation, and we are, then we should act civil. We should just act civil. We should act like we are citizens of where we are. He's suggesting that as Christians, we are citizens of heaven. And therefore, we should have a code of conduct that gives away that we are citizens of heaven. Amen. However, while on earth, we've got to behave like even though we're not in heaven, we still are called on to act like and behave like, excuse me, that We are citizens of heaven. And so he brings this idea up again in the third chapter of Philippians. And it's here Paul writes, for our conversation is in heaven, or our lifestyle is in heaven. That is the the premise, the basis for it all. And uh, that would be a very meaningful, uh, it would be, that would be a very meaningful expression to the people in Philippi. He certainly, they understood exactly what he was saying because Philippi was a Roman colony. And its citizens were actually Roman citizens protected by the Roman law. So they knew exactly what he was talking about. That you need to act, conduct yourself as though you are already citizens of that, of that heavenly home. And, uh, and so the church of Jesus Christ, I believe that we are, uh, we are to behave and ought to behave like we are citizens of heaven. We can't just live any old way and then think we're going to somewhere between here and there. We're just going to be completely changed into something that we should have been here on this earth. In, in Ephesians 4 and 1, Paul challenged these believers to something that I think we should rise to live every day ourselves. Paul said, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And you know, there's just some vocations in life 
that we just, as a society, we look to people and we think that they ought to be living a certain way. I mean, if a drug lord breaks into a bank and robs and steals money, we think, well, yes, it's kind of part of it. But if a judge did that, you say, well, wait a minute. I mean, you, you should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And so if we are called to be citizens of heaven, then we should walk worthily every day of that vocation that we have been called. And so that begs an important question I think that we should all ask ourselves. And and that is, am I conducting myself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? Is my response worthy of the gospel? Is my lifestyle worthy of the gospel? Is my conversation worthy of the gospel? In truth, I want to be clear about this tonight. We don't live right in order to go to heaven. I think that we are living right because we're already citizens of heaven. I'm not trying to earn my way there. I already have the spirit of the Holy Ghost and so I'm not doing this to be saved or to get saved. I'm living this way because I am saved. Amen. Amen. And so I I remember hearing someone say something that that stuck with me since I was a very, very young man. And uh, you've heard it a hundred times or more. And and, and, uh, I, I don't even remember the setting, but I do remember being a young man when I heard somebody say, you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. That, that, that just pierced my heart. As a young person, that pierced my heart to think about that I may be the only thing that someone knows about the Word of God. And that shook me to the core then. It shakes me to the core now. And so I, I, we have to realize to varying degrees that we're all writing some form of gospel to the world around us. And so we can't say, now children, you need to be in church if we don't go to church. We're writing the gospel for the world around us. We can't say, well, we ought, to have, we ought to pray if we never pray. Or we ought to read the word of God if we never read the word of God. Because every day we're writing the gospel, we're writing a gospel to the world around us. Some unknown author many years ago picked up a pen and left the world with these few powerful lines. They said, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? Amen. What is the gospel according to you? The gospel, the good news. Jesus Christ died for our sins that we might be able to make heaven our home. Amen. He, was, he died but he, and buried, but he rose again. What a powerful thing. I, I, I enjoy this season of the year. I enjoy the reminders that Jesus Christ was born. But I'm going to tell you, if, if he just just born and that was the end of it, the sum total of it, we're still in serious, serious trouble. But I'm thankful that he rose again. There's only one gospel of salvation, and any other gospel is false. I want to read from the book of Galatians, chapter 1, and verse number 6. I'm going to read a few verses here. The Bible says, I marvel <coughs> that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Then Paul cleared it up. He said, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. This is verse 8 that we talk about so often. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you 
than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For I do now persuade for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We have got to be careful, amen, to understand the responsibility that has been given to us. I, I dare say that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, what an important moment, of course, that is in our life. And what a moment of joy and a moment of rejoicing. What a powerful moment, that moment that the Spirit of God moves into our lives. Our sins are remitted to be buried in His name and baptism. What a tremendous thing. But if we could move, if we could just push past that moment of celebration for just a second and peer into the world of true responsibility that has now been placed upon our shoulders. I cannot just do whatever I want to do and live like I want to live and do whatever feels good, but there's a weight and a responsibility that has been now placed upon my shoulders. Amen, a weight that comes our way like many other facets of life <clears throat> brings us a measure of responsibility. When we stand at an altar of matrimony I do, and say I do, the amen, past the moment, past the celebration, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility that comes with that. The moment that our children are placed into our arms for the very first time by a doctor or a nurse, amen, if you push past the moment of celebration, the weight and the responsibility that goes on and on with that. And so tonight I will tell you that there's nothing more exciting than the power and the moment that we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But can I tell you, it's more than just a moment of celebration but there is something that's been committed into our hands something that has been entrusted to us and I've got to be careful I've got to be careful amen so I, I must be very careful that we combat and that I confront false doctrine amen I, I'm, we must be able to defend the word of God amen we must be able to defend the plan of salvation and so how do we combat false doctrines. I'm certainly not a proponent of wearing a sandwich sign and marching up and down the city sidewalks. Amen. How would we devise a master plan to stand against false doctrine? Would we rewrite some Bible study or would we try to make it more contemporary or more fitting for our time? How could we ever make a dent in the society in which we live? Amen. I'm going to tell you today, I believe that we can do what generations before us have already done. I don't think that we need some new spin on something or a newfangled idea, but I believe that there is a biblical formula that worked then and it's worked working today and it will still work into our tomorrows. Amen. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 2, and this is probably the greatest deterrent against false truth. Amen. Ye are our epistles. Amen. Ye are our epistle written in, in our hearts, known and read of all all men. How can we compat false doctrine? I believe that we can get up every day, amen, and we can don the robe of truth and we can live it out before people, amen. Let them see us when we're high and let them see us when we're low and our walk with God has remained steadfast and sure. The epistle that is written in our heart, the word of God that's in our heart, that's what's gonna come out. Our mouth, that's what's gonna come out in our conversation. That is what our thoughts are going to be centered around. Amen. The best literature in all the world is not a substitute for our own life lived before men. And so we should get up every day with a determination to let people see Jesus Christ in our lifestyle. And I believe that that 
alone opens more doors of opportunity to witness than anything else. Amen. When people sense and they recognize something different about us, we shouldn't just say, thank you very much. I appreciate that. We should say, let me tell you a little bit of, of the why. Let me tell you the story behind. Amen. Let me, that because it's the story, your story, not mine. It's your story that'll make an impact because they're looking into your blue eyes. They're looking into the white of your eyes and you are sharing with them what the Lord has done in your life. Amen. I believe a church that practices the truth and that lives what it believes has the power to defeat the enemy. The latter portion of 1 Philippians 27 says, Stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul is painting the picture here for us as the church as a team. And he reminds us that it is teamwork, it is togetherness, amen, that wins. And so we keep in mind now that Paul wasn't standing here uh, in, in some protected environment, in some crystal palace, but Paul was preaching to the church in Philippi, and at this moment there was division in the church in Philippi. In Philippians 4 and 2, there were two people that had an indifference. And so, apparently, because of that indifference in Philippians 4 and 2, in that day, much like in our day, because we're all still human, people start taking sides. And so you let two people have a falling out, and then all of a sudden now you've got two teams. A team and the B team. Amen. And so the enemy is always happy to see division in the local church because if Satan can divide people, he can conquer them. And so that's why it's important to stand together. Amen. Philippians 4 and 2, he said, he said I, I beseech you. He said that they could be of the same mind in the Lord. They've they got to get on the same page. Amen. And so, and, and so it's important that we stand together because that's how we overcome that doesn't mean we're going to agree on every little nuance that comes down the pike, but we got to stay focused on the big picture, the main thing. I came across something this afternoon in study that was interesting, and I'll share it with you in hopes that it'll be interesting to you. But throughout his letter, Paul uses an interesting mechanism or tool to emphasize the importance of unity. And so in the Greek language, the prefix son means with or together. And so when used with different words, it strengthens the idea of unity. And, uh, and so this is somewhat like our prefix, our prefix, co. So when we say there's a co-pilot, it strengthens that what's going on in the cockpit of that airplane. There's somebody that co-authors a book. And so it strengthens the pen of, of the people who are writing this information. And so there's little doubt uh, that, that the readers of Philippians could have possibly missed uh, these references in, the, in this message. And, and uh, in Philippians 1 and 27, the Greek word here, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, but is sonathleo. And it means striving together as athletes, son. It's together, it strengthens, it pulls together in unity. And in the truest sense of the word team, Amen, it's what Paul is seeing. And it's the importance of functioning together or is moving as one. And, and to be sure, uh, there are cases that, that there are those that, um, like in any generation, any era, there's going to be sometimes or some people that are always seeking for all the attention or all the praise. But we should strive together 
to bring a common strength because, you see, what we can do together is pales in comparison to what we would be able to do if we were alone. And so the glory is in winning, winning as a team. And so what if, just for example, everybody wanted to sing lead and nobody wanted to harmonize? Or what if in one service everybody wanted to play the drums? I mean, it would be chaos. It would just be absolute chaos. And I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but it, it's the power of being a team. It's not what one person can do, but it's what we can all do. It's what we can all do. And, and as contemporary as you may think this problem is, it's as old as time itself. The Bible says in 3 John 9 that, uh, that John had to deal with a man by the name of Diotrephes. And John said of this man, here's what John said of this man. He loved to have the preeminence. <laughs> it's in your Bible. He loved to have the preeminence. And uh, what a sad state of affairs because apparently this man was a leader in the church. He wasn't just a back row observer, but he was a leader in the church and he was a leader that desired to have preeminence. I want it to all be about me. And that is a very, very dangerous thing to have within any organization or with any body. Amen. We need to understand the value of the whole, the value of it all coming together. Amen. What uh, what it would be, what, what a tragedy it would be if after such a great message that Brother Chris Osborne preached Sunday morning, if I got up here behind him and tried to preach better than him. And said, so, well, now what he meant to say, and here's something he should have added, and here's something he left out. Instead of realizing that he needs to preach what the Lord laid on his heart and I need to preach what the Lord laid on my heart and then together as a team, we all win. We all win. You've heard it countless, countless, countless times, even in, in the last several months among the ministers of our church. When another would get up to, to, to minister, they'd say, man, I was just scared to death they were going to preach my very thought. I mean, the, the same scriptures, the same thing. But we're not in competition with one another. This is not, the, the, the pulpit is certainly not a place for any competition. Amen. But we need to understand the value of being one. In Matthew 20 and 20, we read about a mother, uh, the mother of two prominent New Testament names, James and John. And the Bible says in Matthew 20 and 20 that she came worshiping <laughs> and desiring a certain thing of him. I'm a little conflicted by that sentence. She came worshiping and desiring a certain thing, especially when you find out what the certain thing was. She came to worship, but then when the Lord said, what, what do you want? She said, I want to know about my sons right here. I don't want to know if one of them can sit on your right hand in the kingdom or one can sit on your left hand in the kingdom. <laughs> Preeminence. Amen. Jesus kind of popped the balloon when he said, you think you boys can drink out of the same cup I'm drinking? I mean, you're asking for, you have no idea what you're asking for. You have no idea what kind of position you're trying to push your two sons into. Amen. Well, there's a powerful message right there, isn't it? Amen. Let God elevate our children. Don't push them into some place that, 
they shouldn't be. And, and so the Lord said, you, you, as a matter of fact, he said, I know you can't drink of the cup. Then he said, as a matter of fact, it's not even within my power to do that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I didn't mean to put a downer on everything there, but I'm just telling you that, that sometimes we are wanting those, that position, not realizing what comes with that position. Amen. And so I don't know about you. It's a little hard for me to believe that this conversation all just happened there. And, and it's a little hard for me to believe that James and John are standing there hearing their mom talking going, what? <laughs> I just, I just kind of imagined this unfolded before they got there. Glory seekers. And it can happen to us all. If it can happen to James and John, it can happen to us in this room. Let's not kid ourselves. Amen. The important word is together, standing firmly, one spirit, striving together against the enemy, one heart, one mind, one, one spirit. In other words, Paul is reminding us again of that single mind, the need of that joy in our lives. Even when we face the, the enemy of our soul, we should practice Christian teamwork. We are in this together. We can do more together collectively. You know, I, I, Brother Jerry has been sharing some numbers with us or a few services ago was talking about uh, the numbers that were shared uh, that were shared with, with them through uh, the Florida district about the number of first-time attendees in some of our North American churches in 2018, the number of people that were baptized, the number of the, the, those that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and things of that nature. When I hear things like that, I'm so thankful for the power of one. Because you see, we couldn't pull that off by ourselves, But we can invest into it, not just monetarily, but through prayer and through fasting and consecration, the power of one. When we think about what happens around the globe, I'm thankful for the spirit and the power of God. And I'm thankful for the power of the church. I'm thankful for the phrase, our Father who art in heaven. It reminds me that I'm part of the family of God. I'm part of the family of God. Amen. I want to ask you to stand we shouldn't be alarmed by opposition. I don't think that no one wants to blindly run into a fight, but then again, we should never be afraid to deliberately face the enemy. In, in, in these verses, Paul gives us several encouraging words in, in verse 29 and 30, and, and I won't take a lot of time here, but the Bible talks about Paul talks here in these, in these passages of scriptures about believing on him who also suffered for his sake. And he said in verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So Paul was writing to people who really understood what it was like to, be, to have conflict in their life and, and not just one time, not just a small brush but he understood, they understood that for the sake of the gospel. They understood things that, that we read in like John in the world, you shall have tribulation. And Second Timothy, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Amen. You see the, the presence of this conflict, and here's what I want to say as we conclude this tonight. The presence of this conflict is a privilege, and that is because it's for his sake. Not because my sake, but for his sake. We would suffer. And in fact, Paul tells us that this conflict is granted to us. 
I don't think he's just pulling words out of the air, but I believe he's trying to paint a word picture that has been granted unto us. Amen. And so he talks about having that same conflict. And so here, here in a nutshell, it is. It would be the enemy's pleasure to make us think that we're alone in our battle and that the things that we're going through are unique to us and us alone. Because if he can get us shoved off on that island of thought, he has us exactly where he wants us. But when we understand that the problems that we face, there are many people all over the planet right now that are going through the identical same thing that you're going through. Perhaps even worse in some measures. And so Paul reminds the Philippians that he's going through the same difficulties that they're going through and they're hundreds of miles apart. And so a change in geography is generally not the answer to spiritual problems. Because generally we're going to take the problem with us because most of the time the problem is us. So we're going to take the problem with us and so that we look in the man in the mirror and there it is again. And also, even if it's not us, human nature is the same everywhere you go. And the enemy is the same everywhere you go. And so the power of just saying, Lord, you know what? I just need you to touch my mind and my heart and help me to be consistent in my walk with you every day that I live. I want to be the same thing. I want what a compliment it is for somebody to say, you've never changed. You've never changed. That is the greatest compliment. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.